0: We're preparing for Christmas, and you know what? We talked about Easter last week. Life is speeding by. But I want to talk to you today about Thanksgiving, what the Bible says about Thanksgiving, and I'm calling this the hidden power of Thanksgiving. We tend to think about thanking at this time of year. As a matter of fact, we'll soon gather around a table, wherever you're going to be, and you'll thank God. Well, who couldn't thank God looking at a cooked turkey? And knowing you're about to be ready to eat it but you know what the bible says we're to be thankful all the time and so i'm going to read first thessalonians 5, 5 16 we're going to read it together since it's uh so brief but let's read what the bible says about giving thanks and i'm going to talk to you today about thanksgiving so let's read it are you ready always be joyful never stop praying be thankful in all circumstances for this is god's will For you who belong to Christ Jesus. What a powerful word. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that there's no better book to talk to us about giving thanks than the Bible. And we pray, Lord, that as we open up the word of God today, you will open up our understanding. And Lord, I pray that this is a seed that goes on fertile ground, that brings forth fruit, that it really takes hold. And this message I'm giving thanks puts down roots and produces fruit. That you will deliver us, Lord, from a complaining heart. And give us a thankful heart. Give us a thankful heart. Put it in us, Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And we breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word engrafted into my soul in Jesus name. Amen. I want you to turn to somebody. Don't sit down until you do it and say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Amen. And I thank God for you. Now I want you to notice what he said. This is, this is a tall order. Christians are encouraged to always joyful, be always joyful, always prayerful, and always thankful. Now, that may sound neat and spiritual, but try it sometime. Try to be always joyful, always prayerful, and always thankful. It's not easy. Uh, As a matter of fact, you can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit and the instruction of the Word of God. Being always joyful, always prayerful, and always thankful is not something we would ever arrive at naturally. Because by nature, our fallen natures want to grumble and complain. Now, we're going to see today that living a life of consistent thanksgiving and prayer brings a great blessing. It's not just something that you know we need to do, ought to do, but it brings a blessing. It brings a blessing to you and to me to be thankful. We are to be thankful people. Somebody said prayer and thanksgiving are the two wings of the soul by which it rises toward God. So if you want to rise into the presence of God, okay, prayerful, always prayerful, there's one wing. And always thankful, there's the other wing. And when you've got those two wings, you can fly into the presence of God. Because ever prayerful and ever thankful will carry you into his presence. Because he inhabits the praise and thanks of his people. I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others. I've pastored 34 years now, and uh, I've noticed this: that whether you're thankful or not is often the thermometer that reveals the temperature of your walk with God. A thankful heart is God's will. We are to be, as Christians, a grateful people. You know, when you read your Bible, uh, you'll, if you read it enough and for very long at all, you're going to notice that. God in the Bible makes a distinction between the godly and the ungodly. The ungodly who are never thankful to their maker for anything says he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust and we find the just thanking God for the rain and the sunshine but the unjust never thank God for his blessings. They never think to thank They never stop and say, you know what? Look at at the blessings that God is giving me, even though I'm not living for him at all. God is that good. In in Romans 1, the ungodly are reproved for not being thankful. As a matter of fact, it says, neither were they thankful. And when Paul writes that down in Romans 1, he is beginning, he he is putting down a marker for their decline and drift away from God. When it says they were no longer thankful it was, it was the early sign of their deadly drift away from God when they were not thankful, when they weren't thinking to thank, when they didn't thank God for anything. That, that first sign signified the drift, and we sure see that in America today. Do we not? I wish I could say we're a thankful nation, but no, we, we have become a nation. I, I'm going to step out here and say a nation of unthankful, spoiled brats. We think that we're entitled to this, that, and the other, everything free because we're so wonderful. Because I'm so special, I should be getting everything given to me by the government or by somebody, and, and I'm not thankful at all. we become a nation of entitled, selfish people who have forgotten how to thank. Instead, they live with ungrateful entitlement attitudes that are anything but thankful. Just tune into any college campus. You should pay for my education, you should pay for my health care, you should pay for everything, and I shouldn't have to do anything. They're going to be really shocked when they get out in the workforce. So it's sad that our nation has drifted away from thinking to thank God, from not thanking God, not being thankful to God. History shows that the further a nation drifts away from God, the less they are thankful and the more they complain. For instance, the Bible records 14 times where Israel complained rather than being thankful and provoked God's displeasure in the wilderness rather than thanking God for, for how he was carrying him through the wilderness. I mean, they had the cloud by day, the fire by night. The Bible says your shoes didn't wear out. You didn't get sick. I carried you, I led you, I guided you, I delivered you from Egypt. I snapped the chains of Pharaoh. I heard your prayer and sent a deliverer in the, presence, in the person of Moses. I carried you across the Red Sea miraculously dividing the waters. And yet, you can't thank me in the wilderness. They forgot to thank God. Instead, 14 major times, they complained and they provoked God's displeasure in the wilderness. The psalmist talks about it. He records, but they complained in their tents. When they got home and they shut the flap, which was the door, when they got home and they went into their tent and they got alone, they didn't think anybody was listening, they had a complaint fest and they would complain. God's not this. God's not that. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's not answering this. We miss Egypt. We wish we could go back back to Egypt. Uh, We don't like this wilderness. We hate this manna. We we are so sick of this journey. And they complained. And they didn't think anybody was going to hear them because they were in their tents. But God hears what you say in your house. And what they were saying in their tents was recorded in the eternal word of God. And the Bible says, and the psalmist records that... Once they forgot to thank, that they began a downward spiral because of their ungrateful attitude, and he he tracks it for us. It says next, once they decided not to thank God, it says that they, they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Ungrateful Israel soon grew to reject the counsel of God. Not thanking God, they chose to no longer listen to God. They didn't listen to his counsel. They didn't listen to his instruction. I want you all to know, I I need the counsel of God every single day. I am always wanting the counsel of God. When I open the Bible in the morning, I want the counsel of God. I listen to the Holy Spirit in my heart all day long because big decisions, little decisions, I want the counsel of God. I don't want to be presumptuous and step into a direction apart from his counsel. But I want him to say to me, this is the way, Jeff, walk ye in this. I want God's counsel. I want him speaking to me. The Bible says you will call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. God wants to be our counselor. And can I tell you, his counsel is free. He will not charge you $200 for an hour of counsel because Jesus already paid it all, and all to him I owe. And if we will seek the counsel of God, he will speak to us I want his counsel in small decisions. I want his counsel in big decisions. I want his counsel in in in-between decisions. I want God to order my steps and direct my way and show me which way to go and say, turn here, don't turn there. Go here, don't go there. Hook up with this person. Don't hook up with that person. I I want him talking to me about relationships. I want him talking to me about what I do with my life. I want my life led by the counsel of God. And the thing is, if you're listening, he's counseling. But Israel said, you know what? We're no longer going to thank the living God. And now we'll just turn away from the counsel of God. But it didn't stop there. It says, next, they joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Now, Baal was the curse and the scourge of Israel. It was because of Baalism that Israel, and we can't even comprehend this, but they would offer their firstborn children in fire burned alive to the God of Baal to appease Baal. And that idolatry carried them into the depths of depravity. And it says when Israel forgot to thank God, they quit listening to the counsel of God, and then they turned to worship something that was no God. They turned completely away from the true God and began worshiping false gods. And that is exactly what has happened to America, the who we just sung about. Because you see, America used to have the Judeo-Christian ethic. We used to allow the Bible and the principles found in the Bible to guide us and counsel us and instruct us. But now as a nation, we have rejected the word of God, rejected the counsel of God, quit listening to God. And you know what? Nature, The Bible says nature abhors a vacuum that means when you kick something major out of your life something else is going to swoop in and fill the vacuum and now we have kicked god out of the life of america and something else has swooped in the idiocy and the foolishness of political correctness and political correctness has turned us into a nation of fools the bible says professing themselves to be wise they became fools. That's from the Greek word "idiotes." I don't need to tell you what English word we get from that, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway, idiots. Professing themselves to be wise, they have become idiots. Come on everybody. And that's what happened to America. We have rejected the counsel of God. We've kicked God out of the schools, taken the Bible out of the schools, taken God out of the marketplace, taken God out of the workplace, taken God out of the government, taken the Bible and God. You can't talk about Jesus in many public places. And professing ourselves to be wise in turning away from him, we have become a nation of idiotists. Enslaved to political correctness. Or we don't know if you're a boy or a girl. We don't know if something is right or wrong. There is such confusion and such slavery and such perplexity on our nation now because we have forsaken God. They turned completely away from the true God and began worshiping false gods, but it didn't stop there. They started, I'm not going to thank God. Then it went to, I'm not going to listen to God. Then it went to, I'm going to worship a false god. And look, it goes down to the bottom of the rung. Then it says, they ate gifts given to the dead. They ate sacrificial meals dedicated to idols that were dead. They were little figurines that somebody made with their hands. And now this incredible nation of God's chosen people who were called not only to worship the living God and the true God, but to preach him and reveal him and magnify him to a lost and a dying world. Here they are, bowed down to a little handmade figurine, worshiping a false god, professing to become wise, or to be wise, they became idiots. Oh, America needs to turn back to God, the word of God, the principles of God, the counsel of God, the teaching of God. And finally, the consequences rolled in. They always do. They made the Lord angry by their actions, and a sickness broke out among them. Watch this. Israel went from thankless complaining to rejecting God's voice to worshiping false gods to coming under God's judgment. Thank God for the instruction of the word that we see this, that it's always to your benefit to worship the true and the living God from whom we have all come. He made us. He made you. He made me. We're custom designed for his glory. We're custom designed to show forth his glory. There is a mighty purpose for you. Evolution did not bring you here today, but the living God brought you here today. And his hand is on you. And he made you and fashioned you that you would glorify him in the earth. And that you would worship not a little figurine, but the true and the living creator God. Which we just did. Now, it's worth noting that the Thessalonian believers that Paul wrote this to, I want you to always be joyful, always prayerful, always thankful. The the church he wrote that to were experiencing incredible trials. From the very beginning of their salvation, Paul lets us know in verse 6 of chapter 1, he tells us that from the very beginning they got saved, they experienced hardship and adversity and trouble. He says, you became followers of us And of the Lord, having received the word, look at this, in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. When they got saved, they immediately began to be persecuted. They immediately began to experience trouble. They had all kinds of adversity going on in their life. It's to them Paul is writing and saying, be ever joyful, be ever thankful, ever prayerful. Here's some of the reasons why they were in so much pain and suffering. Under the Romans, many Christians in the town of Thessalonica lived as slaves. And they were persecuted by their owners for their new faith. As soon as they got saved, their owners began to make them pay a price for confessing Christ. And many of those who were free from slavery were still poor, illiterate, and unable to obtain what we would consider the basic necessities of life. And scripture reveals that many of the Thessalonian believers experience serious and untreatable illnesses resulting in early death which is why Paul explains to them the rapture because so many of them were dying they want to know what, what's going to happen to our dead loved ones and that's why Paul told them behold we shall not all sleep but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trump the dead in Christ that you're so worried about are going to rise first those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. (laughs) Persecution was so intense. Paul left town in hopes of dialing some of it back. They were so persecuted. It is to these storm-tossed Christians that Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray always, and be ever thankful. Think about that. They are living in total adversity. Be always joyful, always thankful, always prayerful. And in chapter 3, verse 3, he further encourages them not to be shaken by the afflictions they're experiencing. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now, I didn't expect everybody to jump up and shout when I read, We are appointed to suffering, because we're told in so many pulpits the only reason you got saved is God can make you rich make you wealthy, make you healthy, bless your way, give you the best parking spot at the store. But let me tell you something. That, that is not a balanced message. Let me tell you the real truth. You were appointed to suffering for Christ. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. I suffer persecution. There are people that persecute me for my faith in Christ. But I'm okay with that because the spirit of God and of glory rests upon me every time I'm persecuted. Hey. He says, you were appointed to this. He says, so don't be shaken by the trouble that you're going through. The word shaken is from a Greek word meaning to wag, to move to and fro, like a dog wags its tail. And Just imagine if you were tied to the tail of a dog and you had to sit there while he did this. That's the idea of being shaken. He said, I don't want you moved to and fro, buffeted, storm-tossed. I don't want you to be on an emotional roller coaster like a dog is wagging its tail, you're being shaken in your life by what you're going through. I don't want it to do that to you. I want you to understand that you're called to suffering and I want you to be like a rock and praise God in the midst of it and don't forget to thank God in the midst of it because faithful is he who has called you who also will do it. Amen? He reminds them, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer Tribulation. So again, it's to these storm-tossed believers that Paul says rejoice always, pray always, and always be thankful. Now in the natural, we think, how could they or how can I always rejoice and always be prayerful, and especially how can I be thankful with all the trouble I'm experiencing in my life? Say, Jeff, I'm lonely. I don't make enough money. I don't have a car that runs people have betrayed me. How can we be thankful in the midst of trouble, trials, setbacks, and hardships when you've got more questions than answers, when your best laid plans have fallen apart, when your world has come crashing in around you, where it looks like evil is winning the day? How can you be thankful then? The key And the answer is found in one word in Romans 5, verse 3. And let's read it. He says, and not only this, but we also glory. Glory means you hold your head high. We also glory. We walk with our head held high. We are not beaten down. We're not staring at the ground. We're not slouching through life. But our head is held high. Look what he says. We also glory with our heads held high. In our tribulations, knowing, everybody say knowing, knowing. 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 Now he's about to let us know that whether or not we go through the valley, through the fire, through the trouble and make it to the other side is based on what we know. Jesus said, you will know the truth and then the truth will make you free. If you're going to be free, you got to know something. If you're going to really be free, you got to know something. So he says, knowing. Well, what are we to know, he tells us, knowing that tribulation brings about patience, and patience produces strength of character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation. And this hope does not disappoint. If you put your hope in Jesus, folks, you will never be disappointed. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so not only this, we glory in our tribulations knowing, knowing, knowing. Paul says, if you know God is working for your good and his glory, then you can be thankful in all things. Now, I like to think about these byproducts of suffering when God's in charge of your life as the awesome three. I call them the awesome three. Here's the awesome three. It begins with patience. And patience is the ability to calmly wait in faith on God without freaking out. Patience means that I can carry a load without it breaking me down. Patience means I so believe in God, I so trust his hand in my life that he's going to show up in his good time and in his good way. And in the meantime, I'm going to go by the 11th commandment, and the 11th commandment is thou shalt not sweat it. Everybody say that with me, thou shalt not sweat it. Because some of you are sweating it. I know the way you're looking at me, you're sweating it. Thou shalt not sweat it. Why? Because I know that God is working into me what, what I've called the awesome three. He, anything I go through, he's working in me the awesome three. And the awesome three begins with patience. I can wait on God, not get mad at God not start to doubt God, not walk away from God, not grow cool towards God, but I can wait in fervent expectation that my God is true to his word. He's going to come through. He's a prayer answering God. He hasn't lied to me. He hasn't fooled me. He hasn't deceived me, but I can trust him with every atom of my being and fiber of my soul. He's going to come through, so I shall not sweat it as I wait. The second of the awesome three is character. You know what that means? That means you have grown up spiritually. He's going to work into you character where you're grown up spiritually. And, you know, there's a lot of people 10, 15 years old in the Lord, and they've never grown up. We're still changing their diapers, spiritually speaking. They get offended over every little thing. They're, They're carrying grudges. Uh, They doubt God. They're not in the Word. They don't have a consistent Christian life. They're still babies. They think everything is about them. And so they cry and squeal and scream and want all the attention because they're still spiritual babies. But Paul talked about the day when he put away childish things and became a man. And and you know what that tells me? There's a difference between being a male and being a man. You can be a male and not a man. To be a male, you just got to be born that way. But to be a man, you gotta be made that way. You gotta have the character created in you. And, and I'm going to tell you, there is a deficit of men in America, people who have grown up. They're not pouting. They're not carrying all kinds of offenses around with them. They are, they are not expecting everybody to wait on them. But we're looking for men. I can't tell you how many women have said to me, I, I wish I could find a man, not a male, but a man. Now, let me flip that. I've had men tell me, I wish I could find a woman, somebody grown up. Somebody who's not a little baby. I'm preaching good whether or not you're amening me. This is good stuff. I'm telling you the truth. What a joy it is to find a real man or a real woman. They they walk like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They're not always carrying their troubles on their sleeve. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. They're a real man, a real woman. I like manly men and womanly women. But because we left the Judeo-Christian ethic in our country and we've turned to political correctness, we have created a generation of snowflakes. They can't take anything. They can't go through anything. They can't handle the slightest adversity. It's sad. It's tragic. We need to teach Christians, hey, you may not get everything you want. Life may not always go your way. But even when it doesn't, He's still with you, and He's still working into you the awesome three. He's going to make you patient, and He's going to give you character that stands the test of time. Spiritual maturity. And then hope. Hope is the confident expectation when you wake up in the morning that something good is coming your way. Some of you wake up and say, oh, me, instead of amen. The alarm clock goes off and you say, oh me, it's another day. And, and you expect bad to come your way. You may lose. I may lose my job. I may lose this. I may lose that. There, there is a worry and a fear that walks with so many people when they wake up in the morning. But when you have increased hope, and that's the third of the awesome three, when, when God gives you patience and the patience produces character and the character, the character, he says, will increase your hope level so that when you wake up, you say something good is coming my way because I know who is in charge of my future. And he said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future, to give you a future, to give you a future, you a future, you a future, future, and a hope. Say with me, patience, character, hope. That's the awesome three. No matter what you're going through right now, God is forming and shaping the awesome three in you right now. Right now. So here's the deal. If I know that God's producing in me the awesome three, then I can maintain a thankful heart because I've got much to be thankful for. Former Dallas Cowboys coach in the golden years, Tom Landry often said, my job is to make the players do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. Oh, that's powerful. He says, I I make them, they get out there and they work out in that heat. They run, they pass the ball. They have a regimen. They have a discipline. They, they don't eat certain things. They work out. They stay in shape. And they get out there and I work them. I work them in those summer months getting ready for the fall and, and, and the football season. I work them and I discipline them. And, and they don't like it. They don't like the sweating. They don't like the pushing. They don't like me shouting in their ear. But they love what it produces because it makes them what they've always wanted to be. So I could take that saying and I could, let's just take Landry out and imagine that God is talking to Christians and here's what God says. My purpose is to make my children do what they don't always want to do so that they can be what they've always wanted to be. And that is patient, loving, kind, Long-suffering, gentle, meek, full of faith, walking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, glorifying Jesus, handling life like Jesus, never panicking, never freaking, always walking in faith. That's what I've always wanted to be. And that's what God achieves for our tough trials and our hardships. He teaches us to patiently wait in faith And as we wait, he hammers and chisels into us grown-up character. And he fans the flame of hope into a fire. That's the awesome three. Can, Can you thank God for the awesome three being worked into you? Can you always thank God for that? God wants us to thank him at all times. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you let me ask you today do you know that your circumstances both good and bad are working into you the awesome three do you know that of steady patience grown-up character ever-increasing hope those are being worked in you by God now I want us to stand and read together something that Paul wrote in another place and I want to show you how certain the apostle Paul was of this I want you to read the first four words of this verse out loud. And I want you to stop and think just for a moment about it with me. Philippians 1.6, read the first four words out loud. And I am sure. Are you sure? See, he said, there's not a smidgen of doubt in my mind about what I'm telling you. He's working in me, the awesome three. And if God be for me, who can be against me? And he always makes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. I am the winner and can never be the loser because of who is on my side. So he said, I'm sure of this. And let's read the rest. That God, who began the good work within you, will keep right on helping you grow in His grace until His task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Amen. Now let's read the next one out loud. We got one to go. It is God. Read it with me. It is God who is at work in you. Tell your neighbor that. God's working in you. God's working in you. God is at work in you. And he's working the awesome three into you. Amen. God's at work in you. What does he say? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Can we lift our hands? To the amazing Savior who has saved our soul, filled us with his spirit, marked us with his blood, called us to his eternal purpose.